A reading from the Gospel of Luke. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the gospel reading that Kendall just read, it's a heavy one, and just fair warning, the sermon's definitely on the heavier side uh, tonight. It is the uh, scene of Jesus' crucifixion uh, uh, on Golgotha, or Calvary, which is the skull-shaped hill in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. And um, in lectionary churches like ours, there's a church year, and you usually hear that on Good Friday, not, not in November, but... Uh, today in the church here is Christ called Christ the King Sunday, and you will have noticed the the conversation, the dialogue about Christ's kingdom in that very short passage. Um, so that's why that uh, lectionary reading has given to us today. So, but if you've been paying attention to any of the sermons from this pulpit, you've noticed that the cross, um, what we talk about on Good Friday. I mean, it finds its way into every sermon, and it doesn't matter the Sunday, and it doesn't matter the preacher. You know, there's, there's a good reason that the Apostle Paul um, said, I have determined, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, him crucified. And that's because the cross is essential uh, for us all the time, that Good Friday is really the kind of the day of all days for Christians. I mean, yes, Christmas is coming. It's already out there, it feels like. Uh, 
Dave Zoll did the children's sermon this morning, and there were about 90 little kids up here, and he said, hey, all right, kids, what's coming this week? What's going to happen this week? And some killed yet, killed yet, kid yelled, Christmas is coming this week. Um, but Christmas is wonderful. It's about God um, becoming one of us, about God being with us, walking alongside of us. And, of course, Easter is wonderful. It's about God going ahead of us, that Jesus Christ goes ahead of us to trample down death. Um, but, but the cross, Good Friday, is about God being for us right now in this life, um, what the Bible calls this present darkness, this life. Uh, it's about Jesus Christ dying for our sins, taking our place on the cross. You noticed that the thief um, knew that he was justly condemned, and yet Jesus had done nothing wrong. Good Friday is the day that Jesus fulfills the demands of the law so that we can live in the freedom of grace. Jesus speaks two crucially important sentences um, from the cross in this passage, and this is what this sermon is about. The first sentence is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's a pretty well-known word from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, as you, you probably know, uh, Roman crucifixion was the most a barbaric form of execution ever devised by human beings. Um, it was designed to torture, slowly torture, expose and humiliate people who uh, the executioners deemed to be subhuman, human scum, but like subhuman. Uh, only the worst of the worst would be crucified. And yet Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Have you ever thought, wondered who the them is in the prayer? Who's the them? The soldiers who nailed the spikes into his wrists and his feet? Was it the ones who cast lots to divvy up his clothing? Was it the people that just stood there watching? The leaders, maybe, who scoffed at him, saying that if he really was the Messiah, he should save himself. Was it the other soldiers who mocked him? ridiculed his kingship? Was it the criminal hanging on his right or perhaps his left who derided him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is the them Pilate or perhaps Herod who authorized his crucifixion? The chief priests who clamored for his execution? Was it the thunderous crowd at his mock trial who demanded Barabbas's release instead of his own? Was it Judas who betrayed him? Was it Peter who denied him? Was it each one of his disciples who in the Garden of Gethsemane in his time of need abandoned him. 
Well, I would think the answer has got to be yes. Yes, all of them, all of them. Father, forgive them. All of them, but not just them, but what about us? Them is us too. One of the powerful things that happens in the Good Friday reading is the congregation takes part and we all say, crucify him, crucify him. When you get a moment um, tonight or later this week, uh, listen to Johnny Cash's version of Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? The, the uh, Carter sisters sing hauntingly in the background. And when you listen to Johnny Cash sing that song, that rendition of this classic gospel song, I, the only answer that you can give is yes. I was there when they crucified my Lord. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those words are, are absolving words, aren't they? They're comforting words. They are understanding words, but they're powerful words. They're words that have the power to untangle the Gordian knot of our own sin, both our victimizing of others and our victimhood. The Gordian knot of our deception and our arrogance, our bigotry, our solipsism. On the cross, in word and deed, Jesus Christ forgives our sin. But then he says, Father, forgive them this second clause, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. What is in that? Well, what's in that is this. Not only do we receive divine forgiveness for what we know we do wrong. <laughs> According to Jesus on the cross, we're forgiven for the wrong that we do that we're not even aware of or over which we have no control. Think about your dreams or your quick anger, your subconscious lust or animus. All the stuff that bubble up and tinge even the best of our own works and intentions. All of that is met with absolution from God. One way to say this is this. Not only are we totally forgiven for what we do, but we are totally forgiven for who we are. There's a, um, a character in a, in a, in a Flannery O'Connor short story uh, who has this realization at the end of the story that he was in fact there when, he, when they crucified his Lord. His sin was tied up into it. Um, Mr. Head is his name, and he and his grandson, who's about eight or nine, are super country people. They're country, country, country. And uh, they make a trip to Atlanta, the big city. They decide to go for the day. And the boy's never been. And Mr. Head's only been a few times, but he wants to show off for his grandson. And they get there, and they um, get out into the city, into the pavement and the heat. And they start walking, and soon they're just hopelessly lost and uh, more anxious and afraid. And the day, the day goes on, and they don't know where they are, and they start bickering and they start arguing with each other. And the boy finally just runs off, leaves his grandfather, runs off and through a busy sidewalk and he piles into a lady with shopping bags. 
and knocks her to the ground. And Mr. Head turns the corner. He's behind and didn't see this happen, but sees the lady and the boy, the boy getting up and the lady berating the boy and a look of shame and terror on the boy's face as Mr. Head starts to come up right near them and the boy reaches his hand out to take his grandfather's hand and the lady that Mr. Head tells the lady that he's never seen that boy before walks away. Mr. Head had always considered himself an upright man, a good Christian man. But then the horror of what he'd done, the horror of forsaking his own grandson, undoes him. O'Connor writes, he stood appalled, judging himself with the thoroughness of God. While the action of mercy covered his pride like a flame and consumed it, he realized that he was forgiven for sins from the beginning of time. He saw that no sin was too monstrous for him to claim as his own. And since God loved in proportion as he forgave, he felt ready at the instant to enter paradise. In that moment, Mr. Head is like the man Jesus addresses in his second sentence from the cross. Turning to the thief, he says, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's happening here is this, that forgiveness means nothing in the abstract. Think about it, when you've hurt somebody that you love. Um, you, you've hurt them, and you, you are in desperate need for them to forgive you. You, you need them to 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 grab your arms and, and look you in the eye and say, I forgive you and I love you. You need more than a blanket forgiveness. You need a specific forgiveness that's directed to you. Most of you know that when I was 19, I was driving recklessly and I, I crashed the car I was driving and my best friend Drew was in the car and... While I was driving like this, he told me to stop driving recklessly. He told me he wanted to get out of the car, and I didn't listen, and I crashed. And uh, Drew lost his right eye uh, as a result of that crash. In the hospital later, when the horror of what I had done uh, came upon me, I, of course, needed to see Drew, who was in a room down the hall in that hospital. When I was allowed finally to go and see him, I walked in, and he looked at me with his one good eye, and he grabbed my arm, and he said, Paul, I love you, and I forgive you. Something like this happens to the criminal on the cross. Although Jesus himself has experienced the extremis of crucifixion, somehow he turns to the thief beside him and forgives him. Beneath the crown of thorns, he looks this particular man in the eye and says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. God's general forgiveness is made particular for this man, a man who's guilty, a man who in his own words is, quote, justly condemned. The fact that the man is a criminal 
i.e. representing the worst of us. It's not a coincidence. For as the Apostle Paul also says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Virgil asked once, what region of the earth is not full of our calamities? And the answer is no region. But the answer is also, there is no region for which Christ did not die. And there's no person for whom Christ did not die. Christ died for all, yes. But Christ died for you. Christ died for you. And that's why Good Friday is called good. And that's why the message of the cross will endure forever. Amen.